Today on Ovius and Julio, we'll tell you how December 3rd, 2023, was the official date of death for the ACC as a football conference, where the Carolina Panthers go with the rest of their season as they look for a new coach, and whether or not Scott Fitter has a future with this franchise, and the Carolina Tar Heels looking good on that basketball court, and why there's some red flags around Duke basketball. 2023 is coming to a close, and we are looking for 2024 ideas. So we need your help. You help us. Trust us. It's going to help you. So head on over to OGTriangleMedia.com. Again, that's OGTriangleMedia.com and fill out our content survey. OG. 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 Here we go. Let's podcast alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias inside Eford Studios, downtown Raleigh. Thanks to Empire Properties and thanks to Copiers Plus. Uh, perhaps you are drafting documents to leave the ACC. And you know what? Upload those documents to the cloud, print them out, and send them off to your local courthouse. Use Copiers Plus, baby. Or maybe you've got a manifesto about how a 12-team playoff would actually work this year. And who should be ranked where? You want to you have all the paper around copiers plus can do that for you so check them out online at copiers-plus.com you want to go ahead <laughs> i just sometimes you see the board man <laughs> sometimes you see the board before it happens it just as soon as he got hurt i knew it was going to be a problem yeah as soon as jordan travis got hurt i knew it was going to be a problem as soon as they struggled with Florida, I knew it was going to be a problem. And then like when Kentucky beat Louisville, I knew it was going to be a problem. That was the bigger one. I knew it was going to be a problem. So all of the things that could go wrong for Florida State did. Mm -hmm. And I, I am here to tell you that the ACC is not to blame for Florida State's being left out okay. of the college football playoff. Okay. There is one conference, though, that should be blamed. And that is. And the finger should be pointed out. And it's not. The ACC. Who should it be? Here is the list of teams that he uh, teams and entities that it <laughs> grieved Florida State this year. All right. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Number one, Georgia. Mm. You've won almost 30 games in a row in three years. I was wrong about Georgia. Tie your shoes one more time. Yeah. And Florida State is in the playoff. My family, Brian Kelly, buddy, what were you supposed to be this year? <laughs> you were picked to win the SEC West. You didn't. Yeah. Not only you didn't, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain either. Oh, that's, that's Georgia. That's LSU. Yeah, I guess the list gives it away. Florida. Hey, how about you try not being crappy for once? Yeah. You're freaking Florida. And yes, finally, the S. C is the answer. You know why? Because Alabama, how many times have we said have been dead and gone? Just bury them already. Yeah. And every time the SEC wants to let them back in, if Missouri or Ole Miss or God forbid Texas A&M and all of their money ever got their act together, or Brian Kelly and his family, family. got this thing right, mm -hmm. Florida State in the playoff. Instead, instead, we have Alabama and Nick Saban and the SEC in 
in the ACC out. This was not a failure by Boston College. This wasn't a failure by Wake Forest or Syracuse oh, or any no. other entity or Boo Corrigan Boo, okay, or whoever hold, hold, Florida State hold, fans want to blame in the hold. ACC. Their problems lie to the South, to the Southeastern Conference. That's who failed. That's who failed Florida State. Not the ACC. I did not come into today's show expecting to defend Boo Corrigan. But here I am defending Boo Corrigan because Boo Corrigan yesterday was taking. He was getting dunked on a lot by a variety of people, not just Florida State fans. NC State fans were also dunking on Boo Corrigan. Gee, this is why I don't like Boo. It's like the Debbie truthers are still out there versus Boo Corrigan. Look, man, Boo Corrigan just chairs the damn thing. It doesn't matter who's in charge of the committee. They can they are they are replacement level at this point. You can put all the data points in for your committee chair into the chat GPT and <laughs> it would have spit out the kind of answers that Boo Corrigan or any other committee chair has given in the past. All right. So it's 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 a job that is it's not a it's a thankless job, number one, puts you in a very weird position, but this is what they signed up for. And this is something that you and I have had conversations about for 10 years throughout this entire process with the college football playoff. You all agreed. You all agreed. You sat down and said on that day, one of us at least every year every is going to get left out. Not just left out. Screwed. And let's, guess let's, what? Call, let's call it what it is. We are going to screw you. And guess what? That's what the money's for. Yeah. That's what it is. Now, let's talk about this on a micro level and a macro level. Okay. Let's talk about the Jordan Travis portion of this. And I do find the argument that, and I've been hearing it a lot. It's This is like, this is one of these weird things where everybody's just parroting the same talking points without actually realizing what they're saying. And there's this very base level sports talk radio caller-esque aspect to the Jordan Travis being hurt. Therefore, Florida State can't be in. Right down to, by the way, Boo Corrigan bringing up, oh, well, when a wide receiver gets hurt or a running back, but when we're talking about the quarterback, as though the quarterback is the only reason you can win or lose a game. If we were basing this on quarterback play, can you explain to me why Michigan is the number one team in the college football playoff? They won one of their biggest games by literally not throwing the ball for an entire half, Joe. Penn State. Yeah. So what did that offense do against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game? If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Florida State outgained Michigan in their championship, their respective championship games. So if it's about quarterback play, can you explain to me why Michigan's number one? If it's that's the criteria. If that's the criteria. No. Okay. Aha. Let's get to the Cardell Jones 2014 Ohio State conundrum. Well, look, well, you know, with Cardell Jones, I mean, they blew out Wisconsin like they 59 did. to nothing. They did. I'll grant you. They the understood style. the assignment. I will grant you the style points, man. If Florida State goes out there and demolishes Louisville, they're it. Yeah. Based on style points. Yes. But let's not act as though Cardell Jones came in and lit the world on fire as the third string quarterback that year. He completed 12 passes in that game. Ohio State won that game because of their defense, and they ran the ball down Wisconsin's throat. Again, that's well, he did fl- throw for three touchdowns in the game. 12 freaking I'm passes, just, Joe. I'm just telling you there's a difference. I mean, look, style points matter. I get all that stuff. All I'm saying is, and I cannot stress this enough, this idea that Jordan Travis being hurt, they won two games without him. And they won it with a pretty sound game plan of defense and getting by. You give credit for that. 
I'm sorry, you get credit for that. And this also gets to the larger issue where I can only scream until I'm blue in the face because ultimately this is what you agreed to with the college football yeah. playoff by letting vibes take over. Because all this is on vibes, man. Because you cannot sit here and tell me that sports and games matter. It's the greatest trick that sports has ever pulled on the normal fan and us to a certain extent. We are told nonstop. It's all decided on the field. It's decided on the field. That's the great meritocracy about sports. Everything else is reality television. It's all scripted. And sports, is it? Because this looks pretty damn scripted to me, man. You've decided on a storyline. You have decided on a college football playoff storyline based on vibes. So you're telling me that when you say vibes, you mean humans. Humans, yes. I yeah. mean, you, you were screaming this last week. So the ACC, all the ACC is trash. The ACC won six and four against the SEC this year. You can't tell me the ACC is trash. Oh, well, you know, Florida State, they scheduled aggressively. They scheduled us to jump, beat them, and they beat good teams in the ACC. Louisville's a good team. They were ranked 14th in the college football playoff going into the game, for heaven's sake. They weren't like some jabroni Iowa situation that you're like, come on. It's Iowa, the Hawkeyes. What are they going to do? They scored. They put a goose egg up, did they not? So this is all scripted. They went undefeated. They understood. You talk about understanding the assignment. They understood the assignment, and they were rewarded with being fifth, which, again, gets back to the college football playoff committee going on vibes and boxing themselves in. So the committee boxed itself in in two fronts. They jumped Alabama from eight to four. If Alabama was as good as you thought they were, they shouldn't have been eighth in the first place going into the weekend. All right. And yeah, if there's anything to blame the committee for is they they should have set the groundwork for this. And they didn't with, when Travis got injured and they should have made it explicit. This is what you need to yes. do. And this is what we think of you without Jordan. Travis. But you know what's worse than the eight to four jump for Alabama, which, by the way, can we be honest about Alabama? Because, again, people keep parroting mm-hmm. the same talking points. Oh, you know, Alabama this is a different team than they than, than the loss to Texas. Are they? I mean, they pulled a win out of their ass against Auburn. They struggled sure. against Arkansas. This is not like I, your I, father's Nick Saban Alabama team that's a, a, a fire breather. Right. But there's this, oh. Yeah, there's no monster out there's there. There's no monster year. out there, which gets us to Georgia. Clearly, I was wrong about Georgia. I thought Georgia was going to turn it on when it was time to put money on the table. It's tough to win two in a row. It's incredibly difficult to win three in a row. There's a motivational factor there. I thought, hey, man, we're going to remind Alabama we are running this now. Instead, Nick Saban gets the last laugh. Can you explain to me why? Again, vibes. Jordan Travis is out. We don't trust him on a football field. There's no way they can compete. Why are they fifth? Oh, above Georgia? And Ohio State. Right. Why are they fifth? I mean, last time I checked, you're the money guy. Georgia's like a double-digit favorite in the Orange Bowl, right? Uh, Against Florida State. I would imagine, yeah. Okay. And Ohio State's a metrics darling. Yes, they did not participate in their Big Ten championship game, but they are a metrics darling. And you, if you put Florida State and Ohio State on the field right now, who do you think people are going to pick to win? Without Jordan Travis? Without Jordan Travis. Ohio State. So why are Although they? Although their quarterbacks in the portal. <laughs> well, that's after the fact. It's funny, right? Everybody's in the speak, speak of the Orange Bowl, I heard the worst take on ESPN radio from Mike Tannenbaum on Sunday when I was driving around doing some errands. And he's like, well, you know, the Orange Bowl is kind of like a playoff game between Georgia and Florida State because the winner of that game can like make a point, buddy. I don't. I think Mike Norvell and Kirby Smart want to enter the portal, and not they. They might opt out of that bowl game. Neither one of them wants to be do in that you, bowl game. Do you know what college football's always been about, though? It's always been about vibes. Okay, I know that because if I said this for long, I've said if, this. I said this for years that the oxygen of college football 
is stupid. Is this. It's stupid. It's this. It's this. Because you're Florida State right now. You're super mad. Yeah. You were probably really happy in 1993, though, Mm -hmm. when Bobby Bowden won his first national title. Mm -hmm. There were two teams that ended that year with one loss. Mm Mm-hmm. One of them was Florida State. Huh. The other one was Notre Dame. Huh. Notre Dame beat Florida State that year head to head. No, yet, it's, it's always been the thing. And yet Florida State was the undisputed national champions yeah. of 1993. Yeah. Like, that's what this has always been about. It's always been about name brands. It's always been about the big coaches. Mm-hmm. Alabama absolutely got the benefit of the doubt because of Nick Saban mm-hmm. and because they're Alabama. If you put Missouri or Ole Miss in that same exact scenario, they are in the fifth team right now, and Florida State which, is in the college football playoff. By the way, Florida State found out the real hard way that they are not as marketable as they think they are. Because remember, during the, the great summer of consternation in the ACC, mm-hmm. and we kept being told, well, look at the TV numbers. Florida State's a big brand. They're carrying the ACC for all these types of things. We matter. Apparently, you don't. Because if everybody agrees that it's run by the television executives, this is for TV. It's about putting the best matchups. Florida State should be involved in some of those best matchups based on how people talk about them in terms of marketability. But I guess they got the cold water thrown at their face saying, hey, you're not as special as you think you are, guys. We still think Texas is better than you. We still think Alabama, a mid-level Nick Saban Alabama team, is more important for our bottom line than you without Jordan Travis. So before we get to the macro of this, because I wanted to, I wanted to highlight how stupid the Jordan Travis injury conversation is, because it's I'm sorry, it's stupid. It is stupid. Yeah, but it's not stupid if you're putting people in a room and you're saying you're in charge. They of should be the better than teams. that. They should be better than sports talk radio callers. That's what I'm getting. It should be better than first take and going Joe Flacco is he elite? Is Dak Prescott the MVP? Jordan <laughs> Travis off the field. What happens? You know, it's, it should be better still, than that. You're still putting a tournament together. Yeah. Again, an invitational. Again, you're asking humans mm-hmm. to sit down and discuss something. Yeah. They're going to make human decisions. When you watch Florida State struggle with Louisville the way that they did, you're not going to sit there and go, I think Louisville, I think Florida State is one of the four best teams in the country when you have these other options. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a reality. The, the Jordan Travis part of it is not dumb. It's a reality. It is the reason they're not in. It's also, there's also the reality of football teams can still win when they get down to their second Absolutely. or third string quarterbacks. Football teams can still win. There are other ways a different to win, game for sure. plan. You know, Matt Brown at extra points pointed this out. And I agree with him wholeheartedly when I was seeing social media is like, you're telling me that a college football team with an entire month to prepare, can't find out a way to come up with a game plan to win a football game and not this Kirk Herbstreet. I don't want to see another blowout. Like, think about that again. This gets back to the vibes. Kirk Herbstreet. I didn't watch the reaction show. I just picked up on stuff. Cause I, I, it would have driven me nuts, but you know, there was this general attitude of, I mean, man, we saw the blowouts in the college football playoff last year. We don't want that again. So we're going to come up with these fantasy matchups that we think won't be like, I saw an argument that will TCU ruined it. I think it was actually, I don't want to say it was Stephen A. Smith actually. On social media, that TCU ruined it by getting blown out in the championship game. They got to the championship game. Right. That's the point. Like, oh, TCU I, didn't show that they again, didn't belong. They literally got to the championship game. Again, you're, you're putting people in a room. I know. Putting, and by the way, ESPN is the one footing the bill for yeah. the people in the room. Yeah. And it's their television product. Yeah. So you you can't sit here and go, 
remember, we, we, we went the other way with this because we had a BCS formula. We had a cold, mm-hmm. hard formula for 18 years. Yeah, whatever it was. Right? And people were like, man, but there has to be a human element. And now that we have a human element, people are like, well, there has to be a formula. I don't disagree that I wish their criteria was more clear and set. Mm-hmm. But the moment they sat down in 2013, after Florida State won the last BCS championship, the moment they sat down and said, we are going to create a playoff and have only four teams and there's five of us in the room. Those five people in the room had to square that day that this could happen to them. They might not have believed it, but they had to square that day. This could happen to you. Mm -hmm. And when you have humans and you invite humans and the humans are paid by the television people, the television people want Nick Saban. The television people want Texas. Mm -hmm. They just happen to also play during, again, a thousand things had to happen for this scenario to come to fruition. And all thousand of those things happened to keep Florida state out. I do think you're being dismissive though, of the Jordan Travis part of it. Because again, if you're putting humans in a room and saying, watch these teams play, which I'll give them credit. I'm sure they did. My, my big question, the reason why I'm dismissive about it is that the, the committee has never shown. Now, again, this is my own stupidity of believing in consistency. The, well, they're the, never going to be consistent. No, no, but here's the thing. The college football playoff committee has made business decisions in the past, the last 10 years. And we keep, you know, everybody's like, you can put the four best teams in. You put the four best teams in. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they actually do put the four best teams in? Because there have been other years where they've, for political reasons, put other teams in, right? Like, let's, can we talk about Cincinnati? Like, they had to put Cincinnati in because they were probably fearful of a lawsuit, for heaven's sake. Right. Uh, that that might have been coming their way had they been left out. Okay. And TCU, to a certain extent, also plays into that factor. You make political decisions. It's If it's always about the four best teams, as they always say, then you probably see more two loss teams in there but based on vibes. Your definition of best and my definition of it best all, are two different things. It's all open to so interpretation. My, my real question, and I don't think you're wrong on Boo Corrigan being, you know, kind of a, an nah, empty I, suit in this situation. Yeah. yeah. Nor should we be assigning blame to mine. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but in every room, there is a there's an alpha, there's mm-hmm. a leader, there's someone uh, Barry Alvarez forever. Oh, at the beginning of this, yes, was the true puppet master to this. So I am curious in this particular room, mm-hmm. who was the puppet master? Who was the person actually pulling the levers? Who was the person making the persuasive argument? Mm-hmm. Because this this is kind of like how we look at. Mark Emmert from the NCAA, mm-hmm. right? You can just easily dismiss him as a poor leader and, or blame everything on him, or you can take the opposite. Well, that's the job. You, you sign up, you take the bullets, that's what you do. But there has to be something to leadership, right? And I think that's where you can be critical of Boo Corrigan and without being in the room and say, I still don't. Were you the alpha? Were you the one actually running this room? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, we know from history. He's the not. first couple of years, it was Barry Alvarez yes. behind the scenes, pulling every lever, uh, making I, sure that the Big Ten was taken care of. I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't think Boo Corgan is that guy. I don't I don't think that's what he is. I right. think I think Boo kind of reads a room. He's a little bit like tofu at times. I mean, we can see this with the whole ACC conference expansion argument. Boo was not exactly out there making definitive statements. He was just kind of going, all right, well, where's the room going? He's not the alpha in the room. And that's fine. I'm not using it as an I'm just saying that. No, that's I don't what think, I'm genuinely curious, I don't though, think who was guy. in this situation. I, I would I like to I don't think know. he's that guy. Now, you do that's lead who you me, want to blame. You do lead me to a macro point that I want to transition to. But before we do that, I think I'm so worked up about this stuff. I've worked up an appetite. I need wings, Joe. I'm starving. 
Yeah, actually, I'm pretty damn hungry right now. Uh, Wings Over, check them out. Wings Over Raleigh, Wings Over Chapel Hill, Wings Over Greenville. Order online. If you say you want those wings at 6.30, they're going to be ready at 6.30. Uh, a lot of, how, how do you say the Costanza? People have been going. They've been trying the hot lemon pepper. They're going, whoa, whoa, you were right. You're, I didn't. I guess what I should describe it as to some people, this is lemon pepper wet. Yeah. Okay. It's not just the dry rub. This is the lemon pepper with the hot sauce on it. It is absolutely fantastic. And don't sleep on the tots. So go check out Wings Over. Let's get to the macro. You talked about the political football that is required to push your agenda to get your teams in. You you bring up Barry Alvarez. This gets me to Jim Phillips, ACC commissioner, and how Jim Phillips does not have that dog in him when it comes to political football. I think it's abundant. If it wasn't abundantly clear before, it's certainly clear now for people who might have been holding out hope that maybe Jim Phillips would get it right. Turns out that every time Jim Phillips acts, it's about two steps behind where he should have been. They released a statement. Well, the statement, man, too late. You should have been able to, if you and I, Joe, can see these scenarios playing out in real time, why wasn't Jim Phillips front and center getting in front of it to direct the narrative, all right? I'm not, I don't want to turn this segment into me bashing Jim Phillips, but I do think that Jim Phillips is a symptom of a larger problem for the ACC. And I think about a decade's worth of mistakes both in terms of how they've gone about constructing their conference and how they go about talking about their conference, finally came home in the worst possible time and leaving Florida State out of it. This is a decade's worth of fooling around and finally finding out at the worst possible moment and probably accelerating what was already the inevitable end of the ACC. If you want to tell me, and I saw this plenty in my email, I saw this plenty on my social media mentions, whether it was on Twitter or threads, that the ACC is dead. You know what? I have no counter argument for you. You can probably look back at what happened in the college football playoff scenario, leaving Florida state out an unbeaten or, you know, an undefeated power five team that won their conference and beat sec squads and everything else being left out as a signal to the ACC. You're worthless. You do not hold the same amount of clout as the SEC and the Big Ten, because look at the teams that are actually participating in the college football playoff. You have a current SEC member in Alabama and a future SEC member in Texas. You have a current Big Ten team in Michigan and a future Big Ten opponent in Washington. This is going to be the future of the college football playoff. You're going to have essentially the NFC and the AFC, the SEC and the Big Ten through all of their moves to position themselves as the power brokers of college football. The SEC, if you want to break it down by television, as we like to do, you have your Disney out. You have your Disney arm in the same way that the AFC is on CBS. And then you have Fox controlling the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten side of things in the same way that they control the NFC. So these are two television products with the biggest brands. They've made the moves for the biggest brands. And that's what's going to populate the college football playoff when they expand to 12, which would give me great anxiety, bubble guts, however you want to put it, if you're an AD or a head coach at a current ACC squad that cares about football because you will be lucky to get one team and one team only. You're going to be the conference champ. They're going to have a qualifier. They're going to have a qualifier, and that's all you're ever going to get. Out of the 12 teams, you're going to get one ACC squad because this committee and the way the TV plays out has signaled to everybody 
The ACC is viewed as a lesser league compared to these two. Now, all of that, again, this is decades in the making, but this gets me to Jim Phillips. Jim Phillips was brought in to take the ACC to the next step. And the presidents decided, we want to hold the were, status quo. I was going to say, were, was he? He was brought in as someone who was a, a lifer. Yes. Not a changer. Not a changer. We yeah. are going to hold this together like we want it. We don't want anything to change. We like it how it is. We like our neighborhood, if you mm-hmm. will. Where's my, uh, we got to protect the fortress. got to protect the fortress, okay? We got to protect our little gated community, right? So I put that on the president's for hiring Jim Phillips in the first place, rather than getting a disruptor that understood where things were going. So that was failure number one. All right, now you have Jim Phillips in charge of things. Jim Phillips is not Greg Sankey. He's not even Brett freaking Yormark, man. Those guys make themselves readily available. I'm not talking about like a local podcast like ours or a local sports talk radio station. They don't even make them, Jim Phillips doesn't even make himself available on his own propaganda arm, the ACC network. When Greg Sankey wants to set the tone, what does Greg Sankey do? Goes on the SEC network or ESPN proper. Or ESPN or with proper Fine or yeah. Feinbaum. He is right. All right, I got my talking points. I send them to the masses and everybody picks it up and runs with it. Jim Phillips does not do that. So this week, much like the NCAA tournament last year, when everybody was freaking out about the amount of teams that were going to be involved, You have to be front and center arguing on behalf of your conference. Now, I know what the what the response is. Well, you know, he's going to lose that fight. I don't care. You still got to go out there and fight. You got to fight. And at no point does Jim Phillips look like a guy that actually wants to fight for the conference. He does not want to fight for the coaches. He does not want to put himself in a position where he is starting the narrative conversations, and then those things go out to the people who start the conversations in college football. You fight with your own network partner to get an actual fine bomb-like person on these shows. The ACC does not have that. They've never had that. It's not in their nature. I don't know why. And that ultimately is them getting screwed over and why the death of the ACC was only accelerated after this. Again, I'm not trying to bag on Jim Phillips because he's a symptom of a larger problem with the ACC. But I'm sorry. It's a complete failure on Jim Phillips' fart. A fart. It was a big fart. It's a big fart. That's all it was. Jim Phillips should have gone on TV and farted. That's what I think about this process. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Actually, I'm not done. You know what? I'm not done with Jim Phillips. Okay. I'm not done with Jim Phillips. This again, this is another one of like every single one of your moves to do something has backfired or you're just too little too late. You know, like it's look, conference expansion and adding SMU and Cal and Stanford. I'm sorry, but the, it, clearly you're seeing how people view the ACC uh, going forward. Right? I, I actually also think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the stated reason for adding those three teams now props to SMU, but the state yeah, they won the American for adding those three teams was, well, we're about to lose Florida state and Clemson. So we have to be ready for right. when and, they leave. And, and so it's again, like a self-fulfilling prophecy here gets to my ultimate point that people view the ACC as not a power five conference anymore. They're basically being positioned as a group of five team that will get included in the college football playoff with their conference champion. And that's about it. Because if I'm Florida state, man, I'm not riding with the ACC, which clearly seen how it's viewed. And here's the other reason why I would be pissed at Jim Phillips right now. The Alliance. Oof. Do you know on the list? I, you know, of bad I, was, ideas. I was so thrown off that I said fart that I forgot about this point. You want to talk about things that you wish you could take back. 
You and I at the time, we have to be honest. Okay. We cannot retroactively act as though we saw this coming. But at the time, I think you and I both agreed that the only thing that Jim Phillips had in his disposal to get a handle on where things were going with college football was the alliance. Kind of gum up the works. Did we not agree about that? Did we? <laughs> maybe not. I don't think we're retconning anything here. Well, maybe no, we're not. We, we laughed that day at the, do you have like a contract? It, yes. it was like this completely nebulous idea right. that we right. all sat in a room and looked at each other in the eyes and said, if you can't trust what the we man have says. a blood oath. So like, I, come I, on. Okay, so I'm trying to remember how it all played out in my head in real time here. But the point here is that I was of the mind that the alliance was the only thing they really had in order to stop what the SEC was trying to create, which was control of college football playoff, control of the college football playoff model, and Trojan horsing the additions of Texas and Oklahoma yeah. to expand the college football playoff along with Notre Dame, right? Speaking of wonderful partners, Notre Dame. But the biggest mistake was that Jim Phillips trusted that in a world of people who you can't trust, he could trust. That in the history of college athletics, where every school and every conference is ultimately going to do what's in their best interest, that he could look a man in the eye and be like, yep, this alliance is going to work. We're going to hold it down and we're going to hold these truths to be self-evident and we're going to we're going to make sure that the model exists. Of course, that was a mistake because the Big Ten went, Haha, cool, we're now going to uh, speed up the destruction of the Power Five conferences. Do you know what would have started this year? Had it not been for the Alliance, in theory, the 12-team playoff. Yeah. But because Jim Phillips gummed up the works with the Alliance and that it ended up getting delayed and they have to work out models, X, Y, Z, and everything else. And of course, there's been other things that have gone on too, but that was one of the reasons why things ended up getting delayed. So again, Jim Phillips has made mistakes along the way or played it wrong. And if you take anything from this portion of the conversation, it comes down to one real simple thing. The ACC presidents hired a guy who's bad at political football, terrible at political football. And these are the consequences in the same way that the PAC 12 hired a guy that was bad at reading the room, bad at negotiating television contracts, bad at seeing where the landscape was going. And that ultimately led to their destruction. Who you hire matters. Who you hire to take you into the next chapter of your existence matters. And the ACC got it wrong with Jim Phillips. I'm sorry. They got it wrong. And as much as I can put blame on Jim Phillips, you got to remember, much like in the NFL with Roger Goodell, he is a meat shield for the decisions that the owners ultimately want. He works for the owners in the same way that Jim Phillips is the one that is working with the presidents and their decision making. And they got it wrong. And now we're here. I don't want to be like Jim Phillips. I would like to get ahead of things. So, Joe, like today, before we started recording today's podcast, we were already talking about things in 2024. Ooh, right? Almost felt like a meeting. It was a meeting. It didn't feel <laughs> like a meeting. It that. It was a meeting. Just don't call it. You know what? Since the theme is vibes, this morning was a vibe check. Okay, good. As to what we were okay be doing that. in 2024. <laughs> so, all jokes aside, <laughs> We don't want to fart our way through 2024. No. We want to do things that actually make sense for the audience that is engaging with us. So to help us help you and meet your needs, uh, we would like it that you would go to OGTriangleMedia.com. Again, that's OG 
trianglemedia.com and complete this survey. A lot of questions in there. I get it. But it greatly helps us. You really should pick up the phone when you do that. What? Help me help you. <laughs> but that's what this is. So if you want to help us, if you want to help shape what 2024 is going to look like, go to ogtrianglemedia.com and fill out that survey. Uh, also, head on over to breakingtea.com and get yourself a new T-shirt. We got the OG tripartisan flag. I know that uh, some shirts have already shown up. Ooh. Some people, you know, ordered them day of right on, quick. on Cyber Monday and they showed up real quick. That's breakingtea.com for you. Um, so head on over to breakingtea.com slash OG. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, big thanks to State Farm. Matt Davis over at State Farm, voginsurance.com. You can also go to insuregarner.com or you can call them directly at 919-779-8277. Matt Davis, real person in the house in Garner, saving you money. I was going to say, this is your chance. Everyone should be reflecting at the end of the year with your business. Think of your own business, your home, your auto, all of your insurance needs. Go check out Matt Davis in Garner. Also, big thanks to Homefield Apparel. Now, we talked about breakingtea.com to get your OG merch. You want some awesome throwback Vintage-inspired merchandise, T-shirts, bomber jackets, you name it. It's at homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code OG23. I know some of our listeners have been using that promo code. Uh, shout out. We had one about uh, an app state. We've had some with the bomber jackets. We've had some with the hoodies. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com. Use that promo code OG23. I'm not telling you to rush right now. I'm simply saying if you want to get some stuff before Christmas, now is the time to order. You don't want to find yourself in some weird like shipping delay or whatever it is. They're usually on it. Is it really December 4th? But it's December 4th, man. You better get on it for Christmas stuff. I think your Christmas gift is getting delivered today. How did that happen? I know, man. I know. Yeah, big shouts to Scott. He's the one who got the, the App State stuff tweeted at us. I love it when people tweet at us. I love it. When they support our sponsors. Mike K, Charlotte Observer, covers the Carolina Panthers, joining us on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. Mike, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I I didn't feel like watching the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday. I I kind of felt like um it was gonna go like we've seen it all year. I think my hunch was correct, was it not? Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. The Panthers find new ways to look inept. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's basically the. Uh, that's yeah. That's more of the beast than the beauty of this uh, whole situation. I I, I don't know. They, there are five more of these guys, and I'm here with you. <laughs> like that's really what it is. Um, you know, I, I think some were expecting this to be a Steve Wilkes like. You know, hey, they get a jolt. But remember, Steve Wilkes when they went to L.A., it was kind of like this. It was a nasty game. There were some penalties there was sloppiness there was Robbie Anderson then known as Robbie Anderson it just was not a great look overall for them and then they got on that run I don't expect that to happen this year um I think this offense is what it is and you know I mean Bryce Young right now is it's it's a weird comic book trope but like the superhero without his superpowers he's learning to function without those superpowers and either he can become wise off his adversity or he can yeah. kind of falter and and kind of fall into the, the he's, bus a, he's 11 out in california with no powers 
Stranger Things. No, it's it's funny. You say superhero trope. I think I think classic Nintendo video game. Every Nintendo video game, you start the game off with all your. You play a Zelda game. You play Metroid. Like you get all your stuff when you start the game, and then something happens where you get zapped and you lose all your stuff, and then you got to go back and rebuild it, and hopefully you've learned so you can take on the, the bad guy at the end. And that is, I, I agree with you. That is where Bryce Young seems to be right now, but. He's not the one going out and getting the sword and the shield and the sack of bombs that you might need to progress in the game. That's ultimately on the team to do that. And it's fairly obvious. It doesn't matter who the coach is. They still don't have the talent, Mike. Mm-hmm. So the bigger picture question with the, with, the, with the Panthers right now is who will be tasked with doing this? We've moved on from Frank Reich. Is Scott Fitterer going to get another opportunity to start making some moves to try to get this team better? Or are they going to wait till the offseason to truly clean the slate? Well, my understanding is that they're going to kind of see how these last five games go. I do think Scott Fitterer and David Tepper have a very good relationship. I also think he's kind of been dealt a weird hand where he was inherited by a head coach and then hired a head coach. But that was based on a committee of leadership uh, and they worked in a collaborative process Look, I'm not defending Scott. I think that he should not rest easy right now. This has been an abject disaster on all fronts. That said, GMs typically get two head coaches that they hire, and he's gotten like one, sort of. And so I think, you know, everybody wants Tepper to be more patient. Well, maybe this is the alleyway where he's being more patient. Now there is the sentiment of, you know, he could be part of the interview process. And then if a head coach wants his own GM, boom, that's how it goes. That's kind of more of a soft send off. Um, But I think there's a lot of things still up in the air from the front office perspective. Remember when you trade up to the first overall pick, you believe in the leadership and personnel people that have guided you into doing that. And so as an owner, you know, you're more likely to stick with the personnel leadership than the coaching leadership because there's less tangible evidence of why a failure might happen initially. And so I think maybe Tepper's taking his time. I mean, I'm not, I don't know that I agree with it, but I think, you know, there is this national perception that he, and local perception for that matter, that he is impatient. Well, Mm -hmm. he's being kind of patient with the GM where everybody wants him out. I will say this coaching staff had a lot of say in the personnel moves. I mean, particularly on offense. And I think, you know, Tepper's aware of what Fitter had a heavy hand in, and perhaps that plays into this. Um, One of those players that they drafted was Jonathan Mingo. I kind of like the the scratch off idea to Mingo. He's been slow to, to come though, but we've seen him finally have a game or at least he made an impact on what, what did you think of Mingo's performance against Tampa? I thought he played well. Um, I think they kind of made a, a, a choice to feature him in this offense in a way that he kind of hadn't been. If you remember at Ole Miss, he kind of was this Anquan Bolden, Jordan Matthews esque big slot. And they've kind of been forced to use him as a Z receiver because a, they don't want him at X where he's going to face press. He's not a savvy and they can't really put him in the slot because Adam Thielen is basically the only consistent weapon there. And that's where he really operates. So, but I thought, I thought he showed some development there. I, he still makes some head scratching blunders. I think he really needs some refinement in the off season. I've been kind of disappointed by the out 
output of Sean Jefferson's group, especially because Sean's a very well-respected guy in league circles. Um, you know, I was kind of like, eh, on that pick. I mean, I think part of the issue for this personnel group and this team is not understanding the value of the market. They had the 39th overall pick, which is essentially a late first round pick. They could have traded back, gotten a lot more draft ammo. And instead they had a five pick draft. And this draft class is just underwhelmed at every turn. I think Mingo will end up being a solid number two wide receiver. I don't think he's a number one. I just don't think that's his skill set. But you know, I mean, I, I, there's plenty of room to grow. You mentioned uh, Steve Wilkes. I, I, I imagine his eyes or ears or something was tingling and burning <laughs> on Sunday when the interim coach of the Carolina Panthers decided, hey, do you know what would be a really good idea? Let's run the football 25 times with our feature back because, well, our crappy offensive line can only do one thing, and that's run block. Mm-hmm. Like, this shit ain't rocket science, Mike. Come on. It's not. So I so here's here's what's funny to me is like I talk to a lot of people in the league about this because I'll say this straight up. You guys know this. I've been on the show before in 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 12 years of covering the draft and other teams. I think Steve Wilkes might be one of the best leaders of men that I've ever covered. I don't know that he's the best coach that I've ever. I mean, I've covered Doug Peterson. I've covered Nick Sirianni. I've covered guys that have been extremely successful. To me, Steve Wilkes' understanding of football at just like a baseline level and understanding how to motivate other people is wild. Like, it are wild, I guess, those traits, because there's multiple ones. Sorry, I am a writer. I've been up all night with a sick baby. But anyway, my, my thing is, is I think Steve Wilkes got kind of a bad rap early on in, in San Francisco. But if you, if you watched that game yesterday, which I mm-hmm. got to in bits and pieces afterwards – he called a master class on defense. And I think he's a guy that when you look back, got a longer run as an interim head coach than Frank Wright got as an actual yeah. head coach. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, he won five more games. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I really, for David Tepper's sake, I hope there were not TVs in the press box playing during this game because during the game it was running like, concurrently with the Eagles 49ers game where Christian McCaffrey was having a great game and Steve Wilkes was balling out. And I think they showed Sam Darnold smiling on the sideline. I'm sure they did. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, I think there are people in the league that are like, you can't win a Super Bowl running that old school style offense that I agree with, but I think it's a really good base to building a program and that is kind of where I'm I'm stuck here because when you talk to some people in the league, especially people who have been around for a lot of years, they preach patience and program building. And I think like if had Steve Wilkes gotten the job, they would have had a leg up because of the way they built the program kind of from an interim basis and moved on. You know, David Tepper wants to win. I think they would have had a better shot of winning early on, especially with this roster. Yeah. With Steve Wilkes in place. So here's the thing though, about the, the patience, the impatience with David Tepper. When you look at him on individual basis. Yeah. Ron Rivera had to go. It was time. His time mm-hmm. with the Carolina Panthers was up. It was time to go in a new direction and not just from a Ron Rivera perspective, but also some of the key players. <laughs> it was sad to see it broken up, but it was time. And with the Matt rule thing, I argued you should have fired him sooner because we knew what the end was going to be with Matt rule. 
So you don't fault him for moving on from Matt Rule because we knew it was a mistake. And I'll give credit to David Tepper. If this is not the coach that you think is going to put your top draft pick in a position to win, well, then it's better to move on now rather than sinking his development. So totally agree with moving on from Frank Reich. But this gets to the other part of it. Man, you better get it right this time. Because at that point, I think the the die will be cast for the Carolina Panthers and and as a as a franchise, as an organization. Because I know what the argument is. There's only 32 of these jobs. You're right. Somebody's going to take it. The biggest thing that's going against the Carolina Panthers this offseason with this coaching cycle is that there's going to be a lot of jobs available. And when you start to slot them, that's when it becomes problematic for the Carolina Panthers. So based on that setup, what is an like what is a realistic coaching candidate list for the Panthers right now? Oh man. <laughs> um it's not long. Yeah. To be honest with you. Like I when when Wright got fired, I put out 20 names. Uh I've since gotten a lot of feedback from around the league. Look, they're gonna go after Ben Johnson. I don't know if he's gonna want this job. He's gonna mm-hmm. have a lot, a lot of options. A lot of people around the league, when you talk to them, they think that you need like a program builder, like a Belichick or a or a Harvard. Oh, I would I, stay away from Belichick. Absolutely. Well, I would too. I can't think of a bigger personality clash yeah. in, in the world than Tepper and Belichick. But here's the thing. I also think when you look at Belichick's draft history, they haven't signed a top three or like top three round draft pick to a second long-term ex- contract since 2013. Like even if you wanted to make him a front office guy, I just don't think it, it works. I think what's going to happen is depending on what happens with Fitterer. I think if Fitterer stays, I think they could go after somebody who's a first-year guy. I mm-hmm. think this is not the ideal place for a first-year head coach. Then again, it wasn't really a great fit for a retread either. Um, I think what they need is a president of football operations o- overseeing the GM. Um, I think they need someone, a Thomas Dimitriov, a Dave Codwell, who has been around the league. You know, you, you don't hear Dimitriov and Codwell and say, hey, these guys have a long history of success. Well, I mean, they've been to championship playoff games. They've got a long history of scouting. They know what a bad team looks like. They know what a good team looks like. Mm-hmm. I think those are just two names. I'm not reporting anything, but those are the two, are two names that that makes sense to me. I think they need somebody who has experience in that front office can say no to Tepper. But I think the idea of getting a program builder just so that Dave can take some time off from football operations is, is it is a problematic thing as well. I think, you know, they don't need a hardball here, in my opinion. I, I don't know that that sets them up for success. I think what they need is someone who can really build a program and relate to players. A guy that I've been hearing a lot about is Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator, Frank Smith. Uh, He is not a play caller. His background is more tight end offensive line, but he does so much behind the scenes for the Dolphins that he's got kind of that um, day-to-day overseeing sort of personality. I think that's interesting. I, I know there's this dynamic in the NFL that, you know, you want to hire an offensive play caller because if you don't, the offensive play caller, if it works out, is going to go somewhere. They need two years of being able to just run a, a solid ship here, man. Like they, that's that at the bare minimum. I, right. I, I think 
Frank Smith's a guy that is appealing. Bobby Slowick uh, with the Texans basically scripts plays that leaves a receiver 20 yards downfield open every single play. Like CJ Stroud has been very successful because he's extremely accurate, but also because he has guys, you know, 15 to 20 yards on the field breaking free. I, I, I think you need somebody who's inventive, but you also need somebody who can grow and is not stuck in their ways. And I think that screams first time head coach. The problem is, is you need overarching leadership that can put in like a, like a safe ecosystem for that guy to develop and know that he can, he can let that guy be the meat shield. And then let the, the meet your off type person meet shield with Tepper. Let him meet every week with him. Tepper doesn't need to meet with the play caller and the coach every week. He just doesn't need to do that stuff. Yeah, he did. Look, and look, that's not completely abnormal. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie had weekly meetings with Doug Peterson while I was there. Nick Sirianni. Like, it's not weird to do that. What is weird is like calling up Jonathan Mingo and being like, Steve Smith told me you were a good wide receiver. So we went with, you know, I mean, like stuff like that is kind of (laughs) that's kind of wild to me. Um, Or having Nicole Tepper pick up the phone for the trade up for DJ John. Like, Stuff like that doesn't necessarily need to come from the owner. Like that blueprint series to me did more harm than good from a PR perspective. Yes, I know. Um, I completely agree with you on that because what it shows to me, and we'll close on this. What it shows to me is that David Tepper is extremely online. Just like that is a guy who probably looks at a tweet. I've joked about this before. He'll look at a tweet and he, I wouldn't be shocked if he's shown a tweet to the coaching staff at some point. Like, Hey, such and such said this, what's going on here? You know, like to your point about Mingo, Steve Smith told me this, let's get involved. I mean, they're not quite on Jimmy Haslam. A homeless guy told me to draft Johnny Manziel, but like, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from David Tepp right now. And you got to step away, man. Yeah. I thought I, I know he's catching a lot of heat for that press conference and rightfully so. Yeah, what something- was the point of the press conference, Mike? Um, maybe he just wanted to see me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. You um, want to see but, colleague Scott Fowler. I know that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, what I would say is though, I thought the CJ answer, um, or sorry, the CJ answer, the Bryce answer was actually somewhat transparent. Like I don't want to kill people for being honest, even if they're too honest. Um, but I thought something that was really telling is he said, I had the opportunity, I could have vetoed the right thing. I could have vetoed the Bryce thing. Mm-hmm. And he said it in a way where it was like, I'm trying to be supportive. That's the disconnect to me. I don't know that I want somebody who doesn't have a football background being able to veto the head coaching hire or the number one overall pick higher. Like to me, that's bad process. Whenever you read anything that I write from a criticism standpoint, it's always about process. And to me, that entire draft felt like the process was off. And then when I saw the blueprint series, I was like, I was right. (laughs) And so it's just, it's been interesting to watch this thing kind of roll downhill because ultimately you have to trust the football people that to, to do their jobs, right? We're hired to do specific jobs. You've got to do the job that you were hired to do. And I think that that's the disconnect here. Mike K, Charlotte Observer, covers the Panthers. Appreciate it, man. As always, we'll talk to you later.
Big thanks to Mike K for hanging out with us here on Ovius and Julio. And big thanks to Hometown Realty, myhtr.com. You know, as we've kind of discussed this end of the year stuff, you've gone through Thanksgiving. You'll be hosting holiday parties or family get togethers. And you might think to yourself, we've outgrown this house. We need something new. Hometown Realty gets it done with the new construction. Yeah, more than 60% of their business, new construction. Six locations from here to the coast. They have more than 250 agents. I'm going to say that means they know what they're doing at Hometown Realty. Here's what you do. You go to myhtr.com. The website could not be any easier or more efficient to use. Buy, sell. Right there in the middle of the screen. Also, the handy-dandy mortgage calculator. Go with the experts. Go with the people who can help you with your number one investment. That's your home. That's Hometown Realty. It's myhtr.com. And big thanks to Whitaker and Hamer. Check them out. wh.lawyer. Speaking of Morning vibe checks. You know, the one thing we did not talk about Tecmo Bowl. Ooh. We should probably put that in the works too. We, we do. I got to write that down on the list over here. <laughs> Don't spill coffee on it. I, yes. I'm going to have to re, <laughs> repaper. I got more. It's like, it's like we're at the macaroni grill. Yeah. You just got to put more paper on the table and you're good to go. <laughs> Make it work. Please bring me a nice focaccia with oil, <laughs> rosemary. And, yeah. Rosemary focaccia with the olive oil and balsamic vinegar. Okay. You know, I'm, I really am hungry. You need did to you stop. Know, real quick, did you know that was macaroni grill was the first time I'd ever experienced that? Like, I thought macaroni grill was like the height of Italian cuisine. It was oh. like a huge step up from Olive Garden because like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You put an olive oh, oil oh. and balsamic vinegar on a plate for me to dip? Hmm. Yo, that's fancy. That of course, they bring the delicious. wine to the table too. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> we are hungry. So go to wh.lawyer. And they can handle uh, they, all sorts I think of Florida State needs to hit Josh up. Probably, yeah. They need to find their way out. Josh can help them do it. Any kind of legal needs, Josh Josh and Joe have you covered. Go to wh.lawyer. What's up next? What's up next? Did you watch the Panthers, though? No. <laughs> I, I was. I did get a chuckle out of people tweeting... That was a that's a terrible throw by Baker Mayfield. We've seen that before because yeah, yeah. on Picks and Pizza this week, I did pick the Panthers to cover. Gotcha. I, and the exact words out of my mouth were, "They're playing Baker Mayfield, and their defense will play better because, like, oh shit, that guy was that guy sucked in practice last yeah, year. We could yeah. beat him." Yeah, I mean, the, part of the reason why I wanted to talk to Mike K was for the reasons we ultimately talked about them. You know, where are they leaning for the next coach, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, the game played out exactly how you thought. So you know what I did instead? Instead of watching the Panthers and the uh, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I watched the Niners and the Eagles. I was going to say, I watched a little bit of the Jets, man. But that, that, that early window yesterday it was terrible. The Chargers, Patriots, the Jets, Falcons. You know, like, it's, there okay. was some bad effing football, man. I'm, I'm glad you brought it's that completely up. completely unwatchable. I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that that aspect has led to some of the storylines that we have in the NFL right now. I would... What storylines do we have in the NFL right now? That's the problem. Taylor Swift. That's the problem. Well, I don't mind the Taylor Swift thing because that's just like a fun thing. And we're going to ultimately end up with the singularity of content when Taylor Swift shows up to the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to happen. Who they're playing is up in the air. I think they're going to be there. Who they're playing is up in the air. Could be the Niners. Could be the Eagles. Based, stop. based on how the Niners played. If the Niners are 100% healthy, man, <laughs> yeah. then it's a wrap. Right. I mean, they looked really freaking good yesterday. And yeah, Jalen Hurts got knocked out for a bit uh, uh, going into the protocol, but he came back in that game. But you actually hit on something that has been nagging at me throughout this entire season. And I feel like 
we're just kind of going through the motions with a lot of NFL storylines. It's the year of Harbaugh. Harbaugh will be in the final and his brother's going to win the national championship. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We'll have to we'll get back. the Diners Ravens rematch. All right. We'll circle back to that one. But this kind of shoulder shruggy type NFL season has led to my personal favorite storyline of the season and has fed Aaron Rodgers' ego. And you notice that something happened over the weekend. I told you what was going to happen over the weekend. That Aaron Rodgers has been, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And everybody's been, you know, frothing at the mouth like, oh my God. This is amazing. He's beating science. This I is amazing. Science. He's defied science. And then all of a sudden, when the Jets look like they're going to be completely out of playoff contention, what has happened, Joe? Well, the team, you know, it's probably not in our best interest. Like, because we got to think about next year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can clear you. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We don't know about that. I am convinced more and more that Aaron Rodgers did not want the Jets to win. <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers has been secretly hoping that the Jets fall out of playoff contention so that he could then go under that premise of, well, man, I wanted to come back, guys. I would have been ready to go. But now that the season's pretty much meaningless, it's in everybody's best interest to keep it going forward. I want to read you this thread from Ian Rappaport because I do think it actually crystallizes my ultimate thought as to why we're going through the motions and it allows for Aaron Rodgers' storylines to dominate the news cycle. I'm going to read this out loud. You tell me how this sounds. It was a triumphant week for Jets QB Aaron Rodgers, who returned to practice just 11 weeks after Achilles surgery. Unprecedented, yet it's still appearing unlikely that he's going to play the game in the 2023 season. My story on Rodgers' recovery. Are we so deprived of storylines that we're like lying to ourselves about Aaron Rodgers? That, that's where we are right now. We are at a situation in the NFL where they don't want to admit the emperor has no clothes. The yes. product is so agree infuriatingly bad. You brought right up now. even the night game where like Green Bay is feeling frisky. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the night game and Chris Collins and Mike Tirico, like they were all over Jordan Love. And I'm like, guys, holy smokes, what what are you talking about? Damn. Like, because they look good on Thanksgiving. Like, can we just slow down well, just you, a little ready, bit? Are you ready for Thursday night football between the Steelers and the Patriots? You want to talk about football that's going to set the sport back 60 years? Yeah, they're on the list, man. Like, they're really bad. And I'm telling you, there's, it's just, it's unwatchable. And I realize I've, I've fallen victim into having to watch the Jets a couple of times this mm-hmm. year. Tim Boyle, like, you can't, he's so bad. He's awful. Like there, where is the guy? Stetson Bennett was like 28 at Georgia last year. You're telling me somebody can't pick him up and throw him out there and let me see what he looks like yeah. compared to these guys. Yeah. Terror, I mean, it's bad. Was was Bailey Zappy. Come on. The, well, it's interesting with Mac Jones getting benched. I had seen other than JP Acosta, another NFL writer had made this point about, well, I guess we really have to reassess that 2021 draft class, right? <laughs> what do you think? What is there to reassess? There's nothing sir. to reassess. And again, <laughs> this is another one of these moments where I'll crystallize a point that I've been making for a couple of years now. And I think the way this draft class has played out is that draft class was a byproduct of the pandemic. Yes. That yep. draft class was hyped to oblivion because there was nothing else going on. All right. So in, speaking of perfect storms, yes, yes, yep. 
So that was a perfect storm of content creation. We needed to feel hyped about something. So we worked ourselves up into a lather about these 83 all over again. Like feels like 83. People said that <laughs> stuff with a straight face. I'm like, y'all. I mean, I remember Mike Greenberg breathlessly going on and on and on. We've never seen a draft class like this. Uh-huh. How's that played out? As as with all history, you're lucky to get one of these guys to pan out. And Trevor Lawrence looks like he might be that yeah. one guy that's going to pan out. But everybody else, forget it. So this is to your point about the emperor having no clothes sometimes. Now, the NFL is like pizza. You can have bad pizza. You're still going to eat it, Joe. Yeah. You're still going to eat it. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now with the NFL. To that point, though. I do feel that like we're getting into uh, into focus with the MVP. And Dak Prescott has come out now as the D- Dallas Cowboys have beaten up on weak competition uh, to nine and three. And Dak Prescott had a really good game this past weekend. What do you have? Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's over the last few weeks. Uh, it's 20 touchdowns. Wait, does the MVP have to be a quarterback? Well, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> 20 TDs, two interceptions in his last six outings. Uh, they got the Eagles, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Lions coming up next. So that's going to uh, put into focus whether or not the Dallas Cowboys are really about that life. Now, your schedule is your schedule. All you can ask is they beat the teams that are in front of them. So be it. But they are going through a little bit more of a difficult stretch. The Bills, as much as we've wanted to bury them, still very much alive in uh, in the playoffs for the wild card because of all these other teams stumbling over themselves. And then, of course, it gets us to the Miami Dolphins. You brought up the MVP. Does it have to be a quarterback? No, it doesn't. I think the MVP should be Tyreek Hill, who put up a monster game against Washington. Monster game against Washington, which it's coming into focus more and more that, yeah, Ron Rivera is going to be done. And I think your prediction that Bill Belichick goes to Washington is going to come to fruition. I also think that Sam Howell is the kind of QB that Bill Belichick would absolutely love. Yes. Football guy. Oh, look, we don't have to pay him. (laughs) Even better. Even better. But no, Tyreek Hill, as we know, makes this thing go Tyreek Hill on the field. The offense moves Tyreek Hill hurt off the field for moments. Things get real. It's again, it's, it's, it's back to my analogy about the Miami dolphins being exact exotic sports car. If you have one piece of equipment, that's not firing. If you forgot to change the oil, suddenly that thing's spraying. And that's where Tyreek Hill is a huge factor. Just in the same way that Christian McCaffrey is a huge factor. It's probably time to think about McCaffrey as the MVP. Yes. I agree with you too. Let's get it doesn't off the have Brock, to be a quarterback. Let's get off the Brock Purdy thing. It doesn't thing. have to be a quarterback. Let's get off the Brock Purdy thing and just be, let's be honest about the 49ers and how they've gotten here. It's about defense and the weapons. And Christian McCaffrey is key to making that thing go. So he should be in the MVP conversation as well. Of course, every time we talk about the Panthers and the NFL, it's brought to you by Graffiti. Check them out in downtown Cary. An amazing bourbon selection. Tuesday is break-even night. You get pours of bourbon at cost. So if you had your eye on a really expensive bottle of bourbon, but you don't want to commit, you want to see how it tastes first, well, Graffiti is the place to go do it where you can get it break-even night. And of course, Sunday with all the football games going on, you get great bourbon specials, beer specials as well. And we might be cooking up a uh, an axe throwing night at graffiti one of these days. Yeah, now that we know some bowl dates here, I, I say we do a bowl party. All right, at uh, graffiti, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. And while we're headed to the bowl party, I'm going to drop by the breeze through to get some coffee because I'm dragging, man. There's way too many things going on on TV all at once. It's like it's that it's that time of the year that November December amalgamation of all the things happening 
you got hockey, you got basketball, you got the football, you got the bowl games. You got to stay awake, get that dark roast. I still think we need an OG blend. We got to talk to Adam about that. And most importantly, while you're running around, uh, yes, get gas at a breeze through, <laughs> but you can get your snacks, you can stay hydrated, pick up something at the last minute that you need in terms of alcohol on your way to a party, all at the breeze through. We're very excited about Butcher's Market. Ooh, they're opening up the Lake Boone location Friday. That Get means hype. I have a new home base. That means I'll be able to hit them up even more frequently mm-hmm. over on Lake Boone Trail. I'm excited, man. Looking forward to it. They do such a great job uh, at some of the people who tweeted at us with, with all of the sides and everything. <laughs> I was like, it's oh, funny. We I had, somebody really loves you, man. We had one listener. <laughs> we had one listener uh, say, yeah, the, the better half dropped by the breeze through. Mm-hmm. And they took my advice. They picked up the prepared meal. They had the manicotti, the four cheese yeah. manicotti. That's really, I've had that before. It's really good. So everything that you need is there at the butcher's market. Yeah. Uh, well, one important thing here, they're Lake Boone Trail Shopping Center. They open on Friday, right? So they'll mm-hmm. be open from 9 a.m. 7 p.m. They'll be open seven days a week. No sandwiches until January. Okay. All right. But if you're like me and you love either a prime rib or a standing rib roast on thank on Christmas, got to get those orders in. So you can do those in person. You can do them in store. Or you can do them online. It's thebutchersmarkets.com. We've gone this long with football, 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 and a lot of football to talk about. But it was a very interesting weekend in college basketball as well. Uh, This is another one of those micro, macro conversations. On the micro, I'm going to raise an eyebrow or two at Duke. Back-to-back losses. All right, look, going on the road, ACC, SEC challenge at a tough place to play at Arkansas, even without their best player, I get it. Sometimes you're just not going to have it. So I wasn't necessarily, and defense was an issue uh, for Duke in that game. I wasn't necessarily going to freak out about that. Early result, November. However, (laughs) going to Georgia Tech and a lot of the same issues, even without Tyrese Proctor, uh, who missed the essentially most of the game uh, with an injury. And we don't have an update. I think John Shire said after the game he was going to get x-rays and things like that. But ultimately, Duke's problem, aside from a Mark Mitchell technical foul with the taunting that was whatever like it it shouldn't affect it shouldn't affect you you shouldn't just go turtle mode after something like that happens which is what happened at duke i think duke's biggest problem is defense continues to ail the blue devils and that is not something that john shire it's um, not their biggest problem what's their biggest problem pressure burst pipes man yeah the greatest gift mike shashevsky gave john shire was a free and clear year one okay with by Duke standards, very low to no standards because after being raised to the ground in the final four by mm-hmm. North Carolina, where does one, where does one go from oh, there? Oh, sure. It was freeing. So there was a pressure free season last sure. year. And also, by the way, they struggled early in the season and John figured it out. So mm-hmm. he did great work last year. They won the ACC. This year you come in and now everybody and their mother is telling you how great you are. Yeah. You still have very, you still have a lot of the same parts last year. You don't have Derek Lively, who is very important to you defensively, yes. to your point. You also are, you added guys who are all five star guys. They're not all created equal because mm-hmm. you look at their freshmen, and I, I don't want to blame their freshmen for their problems, but what are they adding? Yeah. 
Their freshmen are adding a lot of nothing right now. Yeah, they're, that's they're, a problem. They're essentially role players. You know, so Caleb then you Foster had coming off the bench in, in absence of uh, Tyrese Proctor, and then you had Proctor who was playing at a elevated level mm-hmm. by the end of yes year last year. He has regressed. I don't know if that's because people are in his ear telling him how great he is. I don't know if he put the work in. I don't know, but he's regressed. Sure, to, before the injury here. So you add all of those things together and guess who was super interested in playing you Mm. Georgia tech, Arkansas, everybody. Mm -hmm. And you might say, Oh, that's Duke. No, it wasn't last year, sir. It was not. So yeah, man, this is the same thing we saw with Carolina last year. And by the way, the similarity there is the team wasn't all that talented to begin with Mm -hmm. like this Duke team and the way that they played at the end of last year, figured some things out. They had an identity. They had an identity. They knew, they knew who they, they were. were. And that's, they knew how to play together. That's the, that's, they knew I, their roles. I think that's the biggest surprise about the start of Duke's year is that they went from looking like a team that had an identity. And maybe I'm underselling the importance of Derek Lively and what he brought to the table. Because Derek Lively, I remember talking to some people who were like, man, Derek Lively is going to go down as one of the most overhyped Duke recruits that didn't really contribute. Until Derek Lively figured out, oh, wait a minute. You mean I can affect the game? Without scoring? Without scoring? What? Awesome. And it unlocked Duke the rest of the way. So they clearly miss that right now. Yeah. They don't, they did not have, they do not have the early defensive identity that we saw from them at the end of the year. I also just don't think they're super talented. But you can get by on that because look at this gets to the macro. It's this easier to be let's super get talented. to the macro. Let me just tell you, it's easier to be super talented. Nah, just nah, nah, overwhelm nah. people with talent. Let's get to the macro. <laughs> Did you see the results of the weekend? Everybody oh. lost. I mean, shout out to UNCW, man. Mm-hmm. Siddle doing something at UNCW okay, that's done. never happened before. They beat a ranked team there. Okay. And that sent <laughs> Matt Jones at Kentucky Sports Radio into a social media like spiral, man. Like this, this, this never happens to elite teams, which of course gets to a larger issue. Who are the elite teams? Yeah. There are no elite teams right now. I don't think there's going to be an elite team. College basketball has changed entirely. Yes, you look at the Blue Bloods and you expect excellence out of them. But, man, that ship has sailed. They're going to take some of these L's, and you're going to have to reassess. Hey, man, giving UNCW a shout, shout out to App State basketball. They beat Auburn this weekend. Shit, be happy we won. I feel like that's an attitude that some of these Blue Bloods should take right now. You allow them for this modern era of college basketball to form their identities As the season progresses. But speaking of Shit, be happy we won. NC State, just be happy they pulled it out in overtime against Boston College. As I heard Kevin Keats in the postgame radio show with Tony Haynes, he's like, look, man, any ACC win is a golden win, in my opinion. These things are worth their weight in gold. And yeah, go on the road and beating Boston College. Say what you want. It wasn't the prettiest thing, but they won the game. They got their ice cream going forward. Won the game in overtime by learning from the from the uh, BYU game. Yes. By the end of that game, every every possession was to DJ Burns. Mm-hmm. There was a paint touch. There was let's run this thing through who has to be our best player. So, that's there there was a lesson learned there for NC State. Now, all of this wind up and lead up. I'm sure there are some people in the listening audience going, "Y'all going to get to Carolina finally?" I was getting to that. UNC seems to have an identity. UNC This iteration with the additions from Hubert Davis through the portal seems to be approaching this year completely differently than what we saw last year. And that is a game. It's been said before, but I think it's absolutely true. 
this is a game against Florida State that they would have lost last year. Oh, down double digits in the second half for sure. Slogging through 30 minutes of basketball and just not really having it the rest of the way. Not great from three at any point really in the game? Nope. However, there was a switch in the attitude and they went to (gasps) the press. So they used their defense. One of the things that I questioned after the Tennessee win defensively, does UNC have that in them? Well, they utilized that defense to pressure Florida State and create that into a huge swing with about 10 minutes to go in that during that stretch. If it was around the 10 minute mark, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. Anyway, that was the, the part where the game turned around. And the other thing about UNC, and this is going to tie into a point that you made during football about UNC football. Do you have a guy like in, in Carolina football? Do you have a guy? that you can turn to and say, we're not losing this game. But with Carolina basketball, there's a long line of dudes that you point to and go, yeah, man, we ain't losing this game. I see that early with Harrison Ingram, who's been a great addition to North Carolina. And then the other point too, where was this last year? Doesn't matter. At least Hubert Davis is doing it now. Seth Trimble gave him really, really good minutes in this game as well. So I really do like the way Carolina has gone about their November, early December. And it gives me a lot of optimism going forward that last year just was a hangover mm-hmm. from uh, crushing Duke's dreams and a bad fit and validation that something on that roster had to change. And as much as people were freaking out about the transfers out at UNC, it was more important to see who Hubert Davis was going to bring in. And so far, the results have been positive for yeah, the Tar Heels. I just want to take this time to thank Clint Gwaltney for the schedule that Carolina has this year. Yeah. I mean, can't get any better than this. It's a great schedule. <laughs> Villanova, Arkansas, Tennessee, UConn, Kentucky, Oklahoma. What, what else in the world can you possibly want? So, love it. And th- that was very easy. That was a very losable game on Saturday coming off of the you know pouring it out against Tennessee, feeling chesty, feeling good about who you are, yeah. falling down in the game, and then you know props to R.J. Davis too. I know you, I know, I know what your point is about Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm watching them come back, playing defensively, and I'll I'll just keep saying this when I watch Carolina. Baycott is at his best when he's rebounding and just get getting all of that garbage mm-hmm. and giving it back to those skilled players to do something with the ball. I thought Davis was spectacular in the second half of this game. If whatever reason last year, the pieces did not fit. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I've been revisiting the pressure bursts pipes, yeah, but also, you know, maybe it's because I've been listening to tool revisiting the tool discography lately. And for real, I know the pieces fit. Sometimes that, the pieces have to fit. No, that's filter. I almost said, Hey man, nice shot. No, no, wrong, no, no. That was wrong, wrong band. No, Tool never had a song that had a melody in it ever. No, it's like, yeah. it's prog rock. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be in an altered state of mind <laughs> to truly appreciate yeah. Tool, uh, especially with their later albums. But anyway, yeah, I like I liked where the Tar Heels uh, came out of this weekend as we're now into a, already into ACC play, which is just wild to me. But obviously, uh, what we expect out of teams now, or what we're seeing out of teams right now, is going to change dramatically by the time we get to January. Big thanks to Mosquito Authority for sponsoring Ovi's and Gilio. Check them out, bugsbite.com. Mosquito Authority, Pest Authority, it goes beyond just the usual treatments that you might get from a pest control service. They can put things into place to truly protect your home, whether it's barriers, misting systems for mosquitoes, you name it. You, you had that moisture barrier 
uh, installed in your house earlier this oh, year. So that's the 360 key. moisture barrier in the crawl space. You don't want mold or mildew issues in your house. No. Because you might be thinking, oh, I don't need anything this winter. No, you do. Mm-hmm. No, you do. So Go to bugsbite.com. Punch in that zip code. Figure out some ways not only to save yourself some money, but also to protect your home. Let's get out of here on a Hey Joe question. Uh, thanks to Oakwood Pizza Box for sponsoring Hey Joe. You were at Oakwood Pizza Box and you had another one of your Costanza moments. You ran into some listeners at it's Oakwood very, Pizza Box. I was very excited about that. Did they yes. hit you with the Costanza? They did. I love they that. absolutely did. I love that. Uh, it was Adam. No, Aaron. It was Aaron. Okay. And his... Um, his lovely wife there. They they had it. We had a great time. Awesome. They were sitting there at the bar. They're like, wait a second. Hey. And I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, we, we heard you talking about this place and you know, cause stanza. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's how it works. That's how it works. So I really, I, I'm the one with the Hey Joe question today. Oh, okay. Okay. It's Hey Joe. Could you not come up with frivolous spending ideas? That's not frivolous. You sent me a text. You, were you at Costco this weekend? Sam's Club? I Where was were at you? Costco. And you, I think it was early Friday. And you sent me this. Uh, yeah, was it early Friday? Yeah, it was Friday at 1247 p.m. And you sent me a picture of this e-bike, the scooter that I guess compacts. I think so. Yeah, right. It folds up. Yeah, it'll fold up. And you're like, OG Mobile, for real. We would save on parking. We Cause, would because you want to park over by the cemetery where yeah. there's no, there's no, there's no pay. Yeah, and there's no like time limit. Right. There's not like a two hour parking thing. Right. So what you, so what you're proposing is you want to. I said we buy two of these. How much did this thing cost? I think it was four fifty. So you want to buy two of these? Yeah. Park by the cemetery. Right. And scoot down to Fayetteville. Yeah, and then we could like scoot other places too. Where are we going to scoot? Well, Oakwood Pizza Box, number one. Yeah. Number two, probably Wings Over. Get that thing down Hillsborough Street. I mean, that's those are just two places off the top of my head. What is your obsession? The Lake Boone Trail probably isn't that's, that uh, we could far t- away. We can take back roads to that. <laughs> we can take back roads Probably to that. isn't that far away. Can you, back, can you get back to Garner in that thing? No, probably not. Right. No. I'm going to need you to log into the stream yard so you can see what I'm about to post. Okay. On YouTube. Okay. Because if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Okay. All right. Not some, I'm no knock on Costco. I'm a Costco customer. Oh, you're saying there's, there's something better. There is something better. Slightly more expensive. But it's better. Well, I did the math on parking. We would, yeah, because we right would recoup we pay, this in two months. Yeah, but we play the parking game. That's the thing. We do. It's I'm, still, I'm, I don't. I don't think because like, like right it's not now, like a cost. That's what I'm getting at. We would be able to recoup it. I'm not so sure about that. Okay. Also, I'm lazy. Like I like the convenience. No, you don't pedal. I like the convenience. You don't no, pedal. no, 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 Joe. <laughs> I like the convenience of pulling up on Fayetteville Street early in the morning when there's nobody here. Okay. Well, maybe I'll get one. I've always wanted an OG mobile. Yes. So here's what I suggest you do. Rather okay. than buying two scooters at 450 a pop, how about you splurge on the Honda Moto Compacto? Are you ready for this? Yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, I've got this Honda YouTube introduction. I think this was from two months ago when they introduced it. I think I've seen some uh, some reviews. So it is a briefcase. Okay. No. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. 
Now I'm gonna go over What's the to, price tag. Uh, I'm gonna go over to this review. Oh come on, commercials. Well, I can't knock the commercials because you know we monetize YouTube. I don't need this helmet now, but I will in a moment because guys, I'm doing a very, very different kind of review. This is the Honda Moto Compacto, a $995, 41-pound, around half a horsepower electric scooter sit down electric scooter that will go up to 15 miles an hour get you about 12 miles on a single charge which you can recharge in about three to three and a half hours on a one town outlet this is part of honda's full reach electrification strategy this is your final mile or two to your destination in an urban area this is the short spurts to get places here and there and it's really interesting. I want to see this guy ride it though. Let's take a closer look. All right, here we it go. It is time for an acceleration test. I am in mode two, which is the more powerful mode, and we'll see how it goes. You know, fit on that thing? No. I feel like the bike guy would. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I want you to ride this now. What's wrong with this? Big time. Because it's a briefcase. It starts no. and stops. I was saying, what was wrong with the cheaper one? I, well, where are you going to put it? It's a great question. With this thing, you can actually fit it in the studio. I talked to Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it in the kitchen. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for today's show. We'll keep you updated on the Moto Compacto. I mean, if we're going to buy one of these things, let's buy one of these things. If it's about content, then I want to see you ride around downtown Raleigh yeah. on that thing. I want to see not us together. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to be dumb and dumber. We're not doing that. Sorry. We are not doing that. <laughs> see you all tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.